No, I have been studying these reports from the front lines. You'll note the plural form, lines. Is there anyone along our border with whom we are not currently at war? We need room to expand. Only an idiot fights a war on two fronts. Only the heir to the throne of the kingdom of idiots would fight a war on twelve fronts. <laughs> we can handle it. Our resources are greater than you think. Oh. Mm. You mean your recent alliance with Mr. Morden, yes? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have anything left to give. Then that is exactly what you must give up. Yes. You have lost much. Endured much. Sacrificed greatly. But you cling to the memory of your sacrifices, of all the things you have lost or left behind. They drag behind you, like chains of your own making. They can have a terrible power over you, Marcus. The power of grief and loss and regret. Yes, you have let go of the people, the places, the things. But you have not let go of the pain. You have not forgiven yourself. For what? Being alive. What's the matter? Haven't you ever seen someone who's been reborn before? The crisis, for now, is over. Tell the ships we're open for business. Toe bones connected to the foot bone. Foot bones connected to the ankle bone. The ankle bones connected to the leg bone. The leg bones connected to the hip bone. Now hear the word of the Lord. On the next Babylon 5, Sheridan is targeted by pro-Earth terrorists. In breaking away from Earth, we have begun a difficult and uncertain journey. <laughs> But more than just his life is on the line. What do you want? Put the station back into Earth control or I'll kill the hostages. No! Could this be Sheridan's last stand? Not on my station! Oh! On the next Babylon 5. You have transmissions holding. Patch incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see never been shown to anyone outside the break house. back everybody to the gray 17 podcast where we are a group of first ones who have seen babylon 5 way too many times over the last 30 years more than probably we should admit and a group of newbies who we are introducing to babylon 5 for the very first time and they are watching this week by week episode by episode just the way it was when it aired in the original in the original run of the series. So my name is Blake those of you that are longtime followers of the podcast may notice we are missing Scott this evening 
Scott is currently relocating quarters on the station and is unavailable for this evening's broadcast. He may be let back into the station pending the security upgrades to his quarters. So one thing just to address before we jump in tonight, we are missing one individual from the podcast as well. Andrew has decided for personal reasons at this time to take a step back from the podcast. And should he wish to return at some point down the road during the next uh, couple seasons and a half that we have left on this show, he will, of course, be welcome back at any time he wants to rejoin the podcast. But just so you all are aware that, yeah, Andrew has dropped off and we will miss his contributions to the show. And again, he is welcome back at any time. Again, my name is Blake and with me is Justin, Nicole, Kevin, and Emily. And Kevin, I think you have a synopsis of tonight's episode for us. I do. Yes, yes, I do. Um, after severing ties with Earth, the command staff must deal with some unexpected issues. Delenn suggests they go through a Minbari rebirth ceremony. Secrets are revealed and hidden dangers are revealed as a group loyal to Clark takes Delenn hostage. Thanks, Kevin. And before we jump into our conversation, we did get a new review on Apple Reviews on July 30th from Mr. McGovey. And Mr. McGovey's review is, again, and it's five stars, so thank you for the five stars. I have been enjoying the Gray 17 podcast for the past several weeks. I'm an old one who watched B5 back in the 90s and then hadn't watched it in the intervening years due to lack of access until Max made the series available again. When I stumbled upon the podcast, I had no idea how entertaining it would be to attend a weekly watch party with this congenial and at times zany group. Thanks, Chuckle Nuggets. Mr. McGovey. So We're that review. That's like the best description of us ever. It's like <laughs> Animaniacs. We're zany. Zany's um, a very kind way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Don't make me do the whole the Animaniacs theme because I will. Scott, edit in the Animaniacs theme here. Thank you. <laughs> So again, we are you, zany to the max, that's for sure. And if you would like to leave us a review, we do appreciate it, especially if you want to leave us a five-star review. Even if you're hate-watching us, go ahead and leave us a five-star review for your hate-watch. We love seeing those reviews. We love hearing what you think of the podcast, as well as what you think of Babylon 5. You can also follow us on all of our socials below at Gray17Podcast, and all of that is listed in the show notes. So go ahead and give us a follow. And if you want even more access to this zany group of individuals, you can join our Patreon account, which will get you access to some of our notes, which be warned, you may need some tinfoil for those, as well as access to our Discord server. So let's go ahead and jump in with our first reactions to this episode, and we'll start with our newbies like we always do. Nicole, what are your first impressions of this episode? This was a pretty good one. Um, everybody seemed to be in this episode. We had a Londo scene. We had Jakar, uh, you know, a focused on Delenn and the Minbari and things like that. And the, you know, changing of the guard essentially on Babylon 5. But um, I liked that everyone kind of had a part in this show. Um, so it was really cool to see just kind of where everyone stood on the rebirth ceremony. It was cool to learn a little bit more about Marcus and the trials and tribulations that he went through. Because uh, I feel like he's still fairly new. We don't know a lot about him. It was really cool to see kind of like Sheridan and Garibaldi and Ivanova just kind of like stand their ground and like affirm that like this is the new, you know, order and this is what we're doing going forward. Obviously, you know, I loved the end when someone professed their love to someone that made me happy. I was screeching. But yeah, it was overall a pretty good episode. There was action. I hated that. I don't know if it was Boggs or Box that fucking jerk off i hated him Bob. um 
Boggs, yeah, hated him and the other psycho. Jerk off works too. I mean, you could feel free to call him that the rest of the episode. Yeah, jerk off and psycho, the psycho who had the gun and shot the Membari guy and and was going to shoot Delenn, hated him too. So it was great. There was love, there was hate, there was action. Uh, It had everything that I enjoy. Justin, what are your first impressions on this one? Yeah, that's the first thing I thought when I was watching this episode is that is that Nicole is going to love this because some ships came into port on this one for sure. Not only did we get Sheridan professing his love for Delenn, but also Ivanova admitted she was in love with Talia, too. And that's something that I know a couple people on this podcast were talking about. Finally, those ships sailed in and we got to see that. I thought this was a fantastic Sheridan episode. Um, I thought actually uh, pretty much everybody on this episode did really well. Yeah, Marcus's backstory was really interesting. I, I also liked his sense of humor throughout a lot of the episode, especially about how he's not repressed anymore. And I'm glad that uh, I'm glad to see that. But question. So as I remember in the last episode, Garibaldi got shot in the leg. And then all of a sudden he comes in almost like right after that. Did Jerry Doyle break his arm? Yes. And we, that's so what actually, I was wondering. So we actually discussed that in a galaxy far, far away back in Kevin's garage when it was hotter in hell. And that is one of the things we mentioned was during that scene, uh, Jerry Doyle tripped over one of the extras and actually fractured his arm and wrist pretty bad. And if you rewatch that scene in the last episode in Severed Dreams where he's sliding down the wall, where Zach's kind of helping him slide down the wall, look at his arm. The position of his arm is not a natural position for a human being's arm to be in. And it's because Jerry stayed on scene and finished that scene out before he went and got medical attention. So no, that, so that's why it was kind of written in this one is he got shot. His leg was messed up, but all of a sudden he's in an arm cast. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. Cause that makes sense because, and, and again, I've, I've slept since then. So I don't remember discussing that part during the episode in Kevin's garage, but yeah, that makes a lot of sense for that. Then I'm sorry, Kevin, what were you going to say? I went into quite a bit of detail in the beyond the room too on that, but I'll, I'll just share one thing. Jerry Doyle. So the director comes to him after they film it the first time and he messes up his arm and says, we didn't get the shot. And, and Jerry Doyle's like, what do you mean you didn't get the shot? It's like, well, one of the cameras wasn't working. He's like, look, I don't know if I'm going to puke, pass out, or just generally uh, scream my head off. So set it up and get it right, because I'm only doing this one more time. And then he tripped over the same guy the second time and messed up his wrist. So Yeesh. when... When Zach is lowering Jerry Doyle to the ground, he's pretty much actually, you know, uh, getting him to the ground because Jerry Doyle was in a lot of pain. Well, that makes, yeah. Because that's the first thing I saw when I saw him come on screen. I'm like, well, now what happened? Because we know the same thing happened to um, Ivanova when she broke her foot and they had to write that into the show. So, Um, and then, yeah, I guess the last thing to say for my first reactions is fuck Nightwatch. Carry on. And in fairness, for not remembering things we discussed in Kevin's garage, there may or may not have been micro brews involved. Yeah. yeah I'm not. Yeah. That was a fuzzy weekend in general. Yes, it was. <laughs> Emily, first impressions. This was a really good episode. The guy they got, not for Boggs, but his like second in command, that dude, terrifying. Especially when you started seeing that bone song. I was like, okay. And he. Here's nightmare fuel because that was convincing to the point I'm concerned. <laughs> he played yeah. it too well. 
Um, I also really liked we get to see badass Lanier show up again when he confronts Marcus and just like lifts him up with one hand. He's like, we might look like you, but we are not. So I thought that was because we usually see Lanier is so timid. It was nice to see that um, for a change. And yeah, overall, it was a good episode. I really liked it. And Kevin. Yeah, this is definitely a um, great episode of this season. There's a lot to chew on in this episode. You know, there's revelations by several of the main, you know, the main characters about things in their past or things that are going on now. You know, Franklin saying I may have a problem. Sheridan saying he's in love. Lanier saying he's in love. Um, you know, Ivanova was in love, which is, you know, kind of tragic um marcus saying he's got no more to give i mean it's it's all it's all so much but the 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 one scene in this episode that i have rewatched probably 20 times is the scene between londo and lord rifa uh william forward and peter do such an amazing job in that in this episode in that scene um ridiculously good scene there's some humor with lando you know having a little potty in your cardiovascular system you know that kind of stuff and then there's just the you know the the dripping hatred between the two of them that you weren't really sure of before but now you're darn sure so i do have a prediction i think the two of them are going to smash before the end of this no no ah! that's it kevin you're not allowed predictions <laughs> And no. and the only person that can predict shipping and smashing is Nicole. I'm just messing with my friend Nicole. And she's sitting there going, damn it, I thought they were gonna smash too. <laughs> no, no. That that would be like the ultimate hate fuck, and I don't think that's happening. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so where do we want to jump in with our conversation on this one? Uh there's so many different points, as Kevin mentioned. Uh, there's a lot to this episode. I also think it's one of the great ones of season of season three, but also it's one of those where you really start to see the episodes run together as a direct continuation. Um, and that's been happening a lot and it's more and more, but this you go straight into, you've got that ceremony where they're uh, the deceased from the battle for Babylon five. You've got that part, you've got the follow-up. So that part runs through. And for me, th- this is where I really start like following the threads. Well, cool. this one too oh, is, is a transition episode because, you know, it, it really, you know, it's, it's different in feel. I mean, you know, before they had been part of EarthGov and now they're separated and you just mm-hmm. don't know, you know, at this point in the series, how that's going to go. So it really is a, you know, a moment of transition that's, uh, you know, that uh, JMS calls popping the clutch. One thing I will add, you know, we're finally here. We see these new uniforms at the end and mm-hmm. we have a bit of a pearl clutching moment earlier in the podcast. Justin, you sent us a logo one day. I'm up. I'm a pick on yeah, you. Yeah, I know. But then now, but now, but now it's in the CIC. Yes, but at the time you sent it to us, it was the it independent was logo, wasn't it? Okay, it was it's the independent the of, logo. It's the new logo of the independent B5. So that's why when you sent that logo to me that one day, Justin, I went, "Son of a bitch, quit googling shit." That's why it it showed up. It was just going to be a while. The one thing I actually really liked about this episode was just how. You can get the feel, especially in the scene where they're actually, you know, conducting the ceremony to Delin, and then they do the uniform reveal and everything like that. It feels like the end of an epoch. It feels like the end of an era. Like we already had an episode called Point of No Return, but this just feels like another line crossed where 
there's no going back. This nothing's going to be the same going forward. And that's one thing you get that feeling a lot where everybody has to make those personal decisions and revelations that's going to forever change everything on Babylon five. So that's why this was, it really, it really was a good hitting episode. Nicole. And kind of along with those lines, I wanted to kind of start with the rebirth ceremony and the ending sequence. Um, uh, I thought that was such a, important piece of kind of what Justin was saying is like crossing that line of no return, you know, with Lanier expressing to Marcus that he loves Delenn, that was unexpected, but I liked how he described it. It's not the kind of love that we're used to, like a romantic love, more of a pure love, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and how he's dedicated to him himself to her, regardless of the fact that she's for somebody else kind of thing. Um, it just goes to show how selfless and sweet Lanier is, but also We got to see his badass side, like Emily said. Um, And then as they were coming in one by one and bringing the rebirth ceremony to Delenn, obviously we know I loved when Sharon admitted that he basically loved her and can't picture his life without her. And, you know, I was screeching. But as people came in, um, I wasn't expecting everyone to be doing that. I thought it was just Sheridan. So when Garibaldi came in and he said, I'm afraid if I let loose of what will happen, like it was the most honest uh, rep presentation of where they're at in their heads and and mentally and I thought it was really cool because it was kind of like reestablishing everything we've seen so far and putting the stake in the ground of where they're moving forward from you know like Garibaldi saying that and then you know Ivanova saying that she loved Talia and then Franklin admitting that he has a problem you know so all of these things that we've seen kind of building up throughout the seasons and you know episodes It was like, okay, here we are. We're admitting all of these things. We're saying it out loud. We're putting our stake in the ground and now we're moving forward. And then the the uniform reveals, that was just so badass. And like Justin said, it was so poignant. I'm like, this is the new beginning and this is the new way, you know? And I just thought that whole ending sequence and like everyone being so candid and honest and being, you know, open about how they feel. I thought it was really cool. And really like any care or like or disdain or anything you had for any of these characters it kind of like reignited that that's what i'm looking for you know like if you already liked garibaldi you love me even more if you already liked sheridan you like me you know what i mean so it like it was just such a powerful like last sequence uh i just thought it was important that we start there because it's also important to know where they're coming from with this huge change and like you know obviously we know where their loyalties are but this was just like like you said justin the line in the sand And this is where we're at going forward. And I just thought that was such a probably one of my favorite parts of the whole episode. Justin. Yeah, Nicole, I think you hit a lot of that right on the head. And I think I kind of want to amend one thing that I said earlier about transitions. Honestly, I would say this is definitely the Crossroads episode. I think even applies even better to what I was saying earlier, because you definitely see there's a lot of people who had to make some very hard decisions and see where they came up uh, after those decisions. Like, you know, it's. I guess probably one of the best lines of the episode, and I didn't even really think about it until I think maybe as as you were talking, Nicole, but I think one of the most poignant episodes, lines of this whole episode was when everybody, they walked out in those new uniforms, everybody in the CIC was just sitting there staring at them, and Sheridan goes, what, you've never seen anybody be reborn before? And it's, I, I really didn't pay much attention to it at the time, but then sitting here thinking about it, it makes a lot more sense as to, it is, it's, it's almost like you watch the death of the old old world and the birth of the new one. 
and almost like you know comparing it to a phoenix burning to ashes and then this is what rises from the ashes and you know where 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 is it going to take flight from here so yeah well well said nicole and that's that that whole that was that was very touching honestly that whole scene where finally we get a lot of questions things that we've talked about in previous episodes dating back who knows how long we get some questions answered. We get some things confirmed. We get finally people admitting, you know, again, Franklin, like you said, Franklin admitting that he finally has a problem back when he was dealing with the stims addiction. Um, Garibaldi not trusting his own temper and his own actions and being unsure of himself. And, you know, Sheridan. Now, that's a question I had written down for my questions, but I'm going to drop it here. Um what do Mimbari do for divorces? Because uh, how many people on this podcast think that she's married to Sinclair? So one. <laughs> it's OK. I can be alone with that. It's fine. <laughs> so do Mimbaris have divorces? That's one thing I guess may end up coming up in future discussions here. Um, but yeah, it's yeah, that last part um was such a different it it, it it was almost like we were watching two episodes at the same time because you have everything the remnants of the night watch committing acts of terrorism upon babylon 5 but then also this struggle among the casting crew or among the crew to move forward rebuild and you know rebirth so yeah love well, it. i think this episode for me along some of those lines is the depth of character development that has gone into the main cast in this show. Yes. Um, new Star Trek excluded, because I think New Trek is doing a better job of character development. But when you look, even amongst some of the main cast characters in TOS, TNG, DS9, or even Voyager, I mean, char- there was very little character development in certain mainline characters. And here you've even you've got so much development and it carries on and it grows through even what we've seen so far. Even some of the characters that get introduced along the way, you were given a backstory to how these folks to make it believable how they are. You don't just have the psychopath. You've got a backstory to this guy within the episode that conceivably tells you how he's the way he is. Uh, so for me, I think that's one of the strengths of this show as well. Kevin. Yeah, I totally agree, Blake. I mean, DS9 really kind of started, you know, down that path of having the the little bit better character development. Voyager did a little bit of that, but, you know, they really started doing that better after. Unless you were Harry after, Right. After the hiatus between Enterprise and, and Discovery, they... You know, they had uh, really jumped into that a little bit better. Um, but getting back to, you know, Babylon 5, I think we we saw, you know, a, a glimpse of, you know, um, of Garibaldi's temper, you know, in Severed Dreams when he just, you know, goes into security and goes off. But you never really realize that he feels like he's on the edge all the time. And, you know, that's that's a, a powerful, you know, piece of writing that GMS has in there. I mean, he he wrote something powerful for each one of them that really made you look at the character a little bit differently, perhaps less so with with Sheridan, but certainly with the, you know, the rest of the main characters, including Lanier in there and even Londo, you know, you're going to see Londo in a completely different light after this episode, too, because, you know, all of a sudden he's he's like, like, no, you're going to do as I say. And if you don't, you're dead. And he really hasn't gotten to quite that level before. Um, but, um, you know, that that 
I, I don't mean to repeat myself, but that is the most amazing scene um, between certainly between the two of them. Um, and I just I just enjoy it so much. Well, and here's a question just to throw out to the group, because you, you've all kind of mentioned with Garibaldi and his confession of of losing control. You know, if we think back to the episode Survivors, you know, we know Garibaldi has a past with alcohol. And I actually took it a different way. You know, just even rewatching this, you know, I I wondered if it was not necessarily the temper, but is it, you know, the drinking part, too? Mm-hmm. Because you got uh, Franklin with the stems piece, you know, so I'm, I was almost wondering if maybe that was an allusion even back to that, because we talked about those character development pieces. Yeah, we've seen Garibaldi get angry, but we've never seen him like lose control completely. I think it could be a combination of it. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's kind of what I took it for is, you know, Garibaldi's a man that's deeply troubled. Um and I think it's not a necessarily a fear of losing control. I think it's just a matter of self-trust. You know, he's he and I think it's yes, he's he's he can easily fall off the wagon again. And I think we even see Solomon do it during one episode. But yeah, he can fall off the wagon again and he doesn't trust himself not to do that. But then he also doesn't trust himself not to lose his temper because he's maybe one bad day away from doing some horrible things. And I think it's that lack of trust in himself that I think drove him to make that comment, because I think he has to put a lot of mental time and energy into just maintaining some semblance of what little self-control he has. Well, I think when you look at the title of this episode with Confessions of Light and Dark, I think you can really mm-hmm. try to that. You've, you've got in here Confessions of Love, you've got Confessions of Loss, you've got um confessions of fear so i think it really does get you think about that title and that end scene i I think it really hits home with the with the pieces of that can i troll you for a second blank sure the episode's called ceremonies of light and dark ceremonies of light and dark yes (laughs) all right but i like what you said what you said is very true and although i will say i'm not the one that called it confessions of light and dark in the chat earlier no that was me (laughs) that was you that could be a very apropos uh, title for this episode. It as could well. be too, absolutely. Be. And ceremonies of light and dark still works the same way with the same with the same concept. Yes, it is yeah. ceremonies of light and dark. Scott, I fix just had to, I had to do it. Oh no, leave that in, please, Scott. Leave that in. Scott, fix it. Emily, what have you got? Um, so to the point about Garibaldi and him talking about losing control, I th- I thought it was interesting to watch him actually be so vulnerable because we know he has a history of drinking. He feels a lot of responsibility for um, what happened to his friend who ended up dying instead of him because there was like that change in who was flying or doing whatever. Um, and then his second in command shot him in the back, you know? So he has that, that he's also trying to hold in um, his he could have had a relationship with Dodger. She died or the woman he left behind because he took this job. And it's like, there's so much trauma that he's just trying to hold himself together. That seemed to me, I took as if he let it go, it would destroy him. Like it's kind of destroying him trying to keep it together, but that's all he has. And it that's more than just even going back to drinking, but just really trying to acknowledge and process all the shit he's been through might be more than he can handle. So what else do we want to discuss with this uh, episode? There, there's definitely a lot here with the uh, shit that went down with Delenn. You've got remnants of Nightwatch. Just, I'm surprised you're not jumping all over Nightwatch still being on the station, actually. Just because we haven't gotten there yet. I got some shit to say. Want to do that now? Let's do it now. Let's, let's do it. Let's foil out and Go get for it. it. All right. So the whole point of... The last part of the last episode was trying to clear these assholes out, right? 
They're packing them up in ships and shipping them back to Earth where they belong. Now, it doesn't necessarily shock me that there are some of them left on the station. I almost expected it. So the fact that they were there at the beginning, kind of doing like a covert terrorist cell, um, didn't surprise me in the least. Um, what I guess what did surprise me is, and I guess maybe it shouldn't have when, you know, if, you, if I'm thinking back about it, but, you know, the fact that when Boggs made the comment, there's still a lot of them that are still secretly embedded within the station. So it's like, that gets my, of course, tinfoil hat loving mind going and going, how many more are in there and who are they? And how many are, how, how much are we going to be shocked by people being revealed to be part of Nightwatch or still embedded within the Nightwatch? Because I'll bet you nickels to nuts, not every single one of them wore the armband. There had to be subdued people who were kind of like secret agents for Nightwatch embedded throughout the station. And now how are we going to track them down? How are we going to find them? And that's, you know, that, that's maybe something for another day, but the, um, the one thing I kind of um, was thought thought was weird, and maybe I just didn't kind of understand the whole early part of the episode as well as I should have, is at the beginning, it looked like they were really targeting Sheridan. And then all of a sudden, Boggs is just like, oh, no, you know what? Sheridan's not a main target anymore. We're going to go after, De, you know, Dylan. We're going to try and frame Sheridan for Dylan's death. And then all of a sudden, you know, I call him, I don't even know if we get a name for him. I just call him Psycho Steve in my notes. Um, we get Psycho Steve comes in and it's like, oh, yeah, I know how to completely butcher and carve up a, a, a Mimbari like a, like a, like a Thanksgiving ham or whatever. So it's, it just kind of was like a, just a weird transition from it being about Sheridan to then it being about Dylan. And then all of a sudden this these cat this captain just happens to be coming on board. And it's just it's just some of the timing for it seemed a little off to me. But um the fact that they're I mean they're definitely going to be organized. And of course there's still enough people around to where they can get communications to and from Earth. But if all the comms are supposed to be down and we get, you know, Mickey from you know Jim's deli on 56th Street being the new voice of the computer then how are they getting messages out if the comms are all supposed to be down, the computer shut off? So maybe people can help me understand some of these things. So a couple, oh, go ahead, Kevin, because I know where you're going. Then I'll Funny thing about that, the the voice of Sparky the computer is oh, actually- before, before you tell him. Okay, okay. Is that the real name? Is that the real name? That, that was, it was credited as Sparky. It was credited as Sparky. Did anybody catch who the voice is? It sounded familiar, but I didn't yeah. pay much attention to was it. Was it Yogi Berra? It sounded really familiar. <laughs> no. It sounded Yogi like an Berra. Italian mobster movie person. JMS, and then Kevin, you could, but he basically said when he was trying to think of a cranky temperamental computer, there's one name that came to mind for him Harlan Ellison. The was writer. it? Yes. Harlan Ellison. So, and Jerry Doyle, um, you know, I, I read something where he actually came on set. They didn't have someone just read the read the part so that he could do it, um, you know, later as a voiceover. He actually did it on set with Jerry Doyle. And Jerry said it was a lot of fun to do that with him because, um, you know, Harlan hadn't done anything like that really before. 
and it was you know as much needed humor in the episode i mean you've got a lot of serious stuff that just went down in a you know three episode arc and this is a transition episode so they really wanted to add in an element of humor into it and that's what they ended up doing is you know creating the the whole story arc with the with the computer well and just to your comment too about kind of that beginning piece with um I, I believe you called him Psycho Kevin. Was was Psycho what? Steve. Psycho, Psycho Steve. Steve. Well, Kevin, I mean, can be too. But yeah, we'll go with nice. Psycho. Nice, thank you. Appreciate well, it. I don't think that was a Freudian slip, though. So, but you've got um, he's he doesn't have a name of the show. It's unknown sniper, but yeah, the dude is clearly off his rocker, right? And we see that versus Boggs is more the guy with the plan. So, you know, you've got this guy who he's pissed at Sheridan. Sheridan is the one who broke away from Earth. Sheridan's the one who did this. He wants to take out Sheridan, but that's not going to get B5 back aligned to Earth. You've got to get rid of the Mimbari. Boggs is the one with that plan to, okay, I'm going to try to do this to make the Mimbari go away, not just take out Sheridan. Sheridan's gone. Ivanova's still there. You've got to get those cruisers to stop orbiting the station for Earth to come in. Well, and incidentally, this isn't the first time we've seen the the actor that plays Boggs, played by Don Stroud. You know, we saw him in uh, the fate, fateful episode that everyone just loves as Caliban uh, in the first season. Um, he so in the the episode. Why am I drawing a blank on the episode name? Yeah, TKO. You're drawing a blank on it because it should best be fucking (laughs) TKO. He he plays the the uh, I don't know sensei type guy that is trying to help him through the the uh, Mortal Kombat uh, situation. But yeah, you know he he is a he's a scary guy when he when he plays that kind of part. He's got the the gravelly voice. He's got that intense look. And, you know, with the the uh, makeup that he had on and in TKO, he wasn't supposed to be scary, but he did look kind of intense. But in this one, he's just got kind of a mutilated, you know, a little bit going on and he looks very intimidating. So that wasn't makeup, though. Oh, really? Scar he has in this is actually a, it's a real scar. Oh, OK. Um, the way they described it is he had some interesting past and was in a knife fight. That's an actual scar. That's because JMS comments on the episode that people keep commenting that, oh, a scar wouldn't react that way. The makeup looks so fake. It's it's terrible. That's not how it would be. It's an actual it's the guy's actual scar. It, it is not actually makeup in this okay. episode. That's just his face. Well, I've seen him in a couple other things that I can think of. And I think perhaps they maybe, you know, covered it up a little mm-hmm. bit and other stuff. So I guess I didn't realize that was a real scar. Nicole, I was just going to say with those two Boggs and Psycho Boy, I thought Boggs was the man with the plan. Psycho was the muscle. You know what I mean? Your typical bad guy who's the one who's got the, you know, logical, logistical plan. And then you got the guy who's the enforcer. Right. So I feel like, you know, that was kind of the typical combination of the two. Um, I do think they each had their own things they were angry about. Like it was very clear that Boggs was very angry at Sheridan and the Earth side, but it seemed to me that Psycho Boy was more angry at the Membari and had a thing against the Membari. So um, I think he just didn't care about the plan. He just wanted to take out the Membari because he hates them. 
but obviously Boggs, you know, wants to like, yeah, like frame Sheridan. Uh, Cause I noticed that too. I wrote that down. I'm like, oh shit, they're going to kill Sheridan. But realistically, yeah, like you said, like if they kill Sheridan, it doesn't matter because everybody's still there and the movement is still going to happen. You know what I mean? So I think that, yeah, he tried to creatively think of a way to get rid of Sheridan and the Minbar at the same time. But of course, you know, it backfired in his face because he's stupid. Yeah, Psycho Boy just wanted to kill a few people. Kevin. The other thing I'll mention, a couple other things real quick, small things. Um, Kim Strauss, uh, as a guest star, was also in this episode, which he's becoming almost a a, a regular guest star. Um, he was the, uh, the Minbari captain, uh, Lanan. Um, but the other thing I'll, I want to ask the group, cause I've, I've seen some debate about this online. Um, anyone like, uh, or dislike or, or kind of felt indifferent to the new uniforms. What was everyone's thoughts on those? I fucking love them. They came out and I was like, those uniforms are dope as hell. Like the, I wrote it on my paper, dope as hell. The collar on them immediately made me cringe. Like it just looks so uncomfortable. I mean, the look of them was fine, but that collar gave me, I guess, the icks. Hmm. What about you, Justin? They're different. So it's going to take some getting used to. Like, I was, like, looking in, they came out, and, like, even when Delin said, oh, well, you know, or when uh, Lanier said, oh, well, she had something made special in each of your quarters, I didn't really think it was going to be new uniforms, but then they came out, and I was like, okay, that's a change. Well, guys, (laughs) black matches everything. Yeah, and it's... They, they, great they look great. fine. Yeah. I mean, they, they look fine to quote a popular euphemism on the show. I don't hate them, <laughs> but I mean, it's, I just, I'm not used to it yet. So it was just kind of like, okay, um, mm-hmm. that's something different. Um, I guess, is it spoilery to ask, does the whole crew end up wearing them or is it just the command staff? I'd say let's stay away from that for the time being. Fair what enough. Will, okay. What I will say is, um, I, I really like them. I always have. I, and I was never a humongous fan of Wait. the the EarthGov uniforms. They did get better in season two, for sure, when they added some piping and got to be a little bit, you know, uh, better quality. But I really do love these these uniforms. But I have one very important caveat that I can't get into right now that Blake and I will talk about beyond the rim. And Justin, I know what you're going to hold up there. Yeah, I don't realize I, I I realize I've seen this uniform before without realizing I've seen this uniform before on my Sheridan figure. So for those listening to the podcast, Justin is holding up his Sheridan action figure in the Army of Light uniform. And once again, right. but this even says Earth Force uniform on here. And I never really like looked at it that closely. This is why we said no Googling and no buying shit. Oh. <laughs> Look, it was it was almost impossible to keep certain things from these newbies, and this is one of them. I mean, there's so many production shots with oh, these yeah. uniforms in them. You know, well, and I think, obviously, I didn't know what I was seeing at the time. Sure, so I really don't think that's a spoilery thing. No, because you 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 don't have any idea the reasoning behind the change, or you know, it could have just you know been an update by by EarthGov. You have no idea. Yeah, there's no context, so. But anyway, like I said, I didn't That's even realize that. the back until, of some of them. <laughs> well, and it's, I, I mean, honestly, I took it out of the box. I looked at it for a second. I put it up on the wall. And I really didn't realize until we were just like, I was thinking about it now. And I'm like, oh, wait a second. And then, yeah, this is the uniform, man. I didn't even notice that before. 
This is how much Justin pays attention to this shit in his house. <laughs> so so we've got Nicole who loves them. We've got Emily who's not a, a huge fan and uh for for the color and Justin who's like, "Nah, we'll see. I'm not sure yet." Emily Welcome was to human society. <laughs> Emily was it the color or the collar? The oh, color around I'm sorry, Emily. Yeah, yeah it color. like I saw it and I'm like, "Oh, that makes me feel like I'm choking." Yeah, like, they do look an immediate tight there, don't they? Sensory repulsion thing. It was, but the rest of it looked fine. It was just having stuff like that around my neck freaks me out. Gotcha. All right. Anything else we want to bring up and discuss with this episode before we jump into questions and predictions? I do have one other funny story about this one, which is short. So Go I ahead. guess they they were having a little bit of difficulty filming the the knife throw to uh to Delenn. And so, you know, they were getting a little bit, you know, late, later in the day or close to wrap time, and they had glued uh, a knife you know, hilt to the back of Mira Furlan's um, costume. And so she's just, you know, walking around, you know, on breaks and stuff, talking to people and people are getting freaked out because she's got a knife sticking out of her. But um, I guess when it came time, you know, they, they just, they cut from the throw to, you know, the, the costume with the knife in the back and they, it looked pretty good the way that they had, they had finished it. And this, this episode is directed by John Flynn, who's done quite a bit of episodes up until this point as well. Um, you know, very, very practiced at this point, but, um, she, she found that particularly funny just walking around the set. Um, I think she even enjoyed freaking people out by towards the end of it. So a couple more behind the scenes parts before we jump into questions and predictions. You know, Emily, you mentioned the collar on the uniform looking uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. JMS actually answered a question about the uniforms and mentions that the cast really liked them because they were lighter, easier to move around in and cooler under the lights than what the Earth Force uniforms were. So the cast actually liked these new ones better uh, because they thought they were more comfortable than what the uh, Earth Force uniforms were. Uh, But also another one that came up at the time was the female fans reaction to Marcus. So Let's just do first impressions from Emily and Nicole here on Marcus for a minute. So, Emily, let's start with you. I mean, he's a good looking dude, but I don't. He still reminds me too much of the sheriff from Robin Hood Men in Tights. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, I can't so he's the sheriff of Rottingham. Yeah, I can't unsee it. So I I don't know. It's unsettling every time. Yeah, he does. He does bear a resemblance to Roger Rees for sure. Yeah. It's funny that you say that because I just watched Men in Tights like a week ago and I kind of saw it, but I was like, Marcus is way hotter. I thought it was pretty hot that basically Marcus kicked the shit out of an entire room and then had to wait for someone to wake up to kick their ass again. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, "Okay, Marcus. Um, But I think the I can see why the ladies reacted a certain way in this episode, because when he was being vulnerable with um, Delenn and sharing about how he has nothing left to lose, like he had this look in his eyes and like this, like something about him that you just wanted to hug him. Like it was like, Oh, like you could feel pain was real. That was coming from him. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. I think this was a very strong Marcus episode and obviously vulnerability, which makes guys hot manlyhood of kicking dudes asses, which made him hot, but also loyalty. Like he was ready to like fucking tear the place apart to save Delaney. It's like, I already failed in saving someone I love. I'm not doing it again. Like he just like put up all the flashing lights of, you know, loyal, 
tough, vulnerable, sexy, hot. So I can see why all the ladies may have enjoyed this episode. And I will say I was kind of feeling that way too. So apparently several of the ladies on the production staff, uh, the more they got into this season with Marcus, cornered JMS and basically told him, we want more, a lot more uh, to put Marcus in the show. So I was just curious to see what uh, our cast reactions were. Justin. Um, I think that, I mean, what what what's the term brooding? That's what happened when hot guys pout. But I think that's what we get a lot with Marcus anymore. But um, I will actually say one thing I enjoyed with Marcus in this episode was his his humor. Mm-hmm. There was the scene that right after he completely just devastates an entire bar for his bar. Like this yeah. is where he goes for his contacts. Like he is blowing up bridges left and right in order to get to the bottom of what's happened to um, Delenn. And, you know, he's wasting all of his contacts, everything like that. And, you know, Lanier comes in and says, well, I see they trained you well back on Minbar. And he's like, well, they said I had repressed anger and I'm not repressed anymore. And I I, I openly chuckled at that one. And then the line I wrote down that I think I'm going to have to add to my permanent vocabulary is you can get further with a kind word and a two by four than just by <laughs> kind word alone. I have used and, that one. Yeah, and that's and that's honestly, I openly chuckle. Like this was such a good. The more I see Marcus, like when he first appeared as like a space Jesus in a starship at the beginning of season three, I really wasn't sure what I was going to think about him. But the more I see him, and the more I see a sense of humor, the more I and how just how sarcastic he is, and just the little quips that he makes in certain situations about how he just responds with a very smart ass answer to a lot of serious situations i'm beginning to like him more and more and i think you mentioned the space jesus connection you know see what happens when jms wants to write for a space jesus versus when one is a studio (laughs) note yeah (laughs) yeah jason carter really you know he plays this part very well and uh it's why he's one of my favorites um i also liked his Bunker. Now I have to wait for someone to wake up. I loved that too. But yeah, J- Jason Carter, he's he's good for so many different things in the show. I think the ladies like him for different reasons than I do, but that's cool. No judging, no judging. No judgment whatsoever. The only other thing I, I wanted to mention about has to do with, with Lanier and his feelings towards Delenn. So Bill Moomy went to JMS in season two and said, I think it would be great if Lanier was in love with Delenn. And at first, I don't think JMS was a big fan of the the whole thought process. But, you know, I think Bill Moomy, that wasn't the only time they talked about it. And JMS decided to write that in. Uh, it was it was Bill Moomy's idea to go that route. And uh, I don't want to say anything else, but um, I certainly think the suggestion was uh, was an interesting, you know, twist. Dustin. So here's one thing I may end up raising some ire and disagreeing with people on. Does he love her or is he in love with her? Those can be two completely different things. And the reason why I say that is he even said it's beyond romantic love. It's something far beyond that. Mm-hmm. Um, and this isn't the first time. And I, immediately when that happened, I thought about the scene in Best of Both Worlds in Star Trek Next Generation. And I'm sorry we keep bouncing back to that, but that was what popped in my head during this scene was when um, was when Guinan was talking to Riker and said, what Picard and I have is beyond love, beyond friendship, beyond family. So it may not even be a, like he may not be in love with her, 
but it may be something to where he just recognizes how much of a and the the train is starting to derail. So hold on one second. Um, I think he's just like starting to realize, or maybe he's always felt the entire time how how much he reveres her, how much he honors her, how much he looks up to her, and how close they are. Because those are, I guess, for both of them, they're closer to each other than almost anyone else on the station. I mean, they are all pretty much who they have. So. I'm not 100% sure it's convinced I'm I'm convinced it's any kind of romantic love as much as it is this is my person this is this is who I'm meant to be here for even though he did say he kind of regrets she's meant for someone else so maybe there is a little bit of a romantic but I think it's far beyond just that Emily I agree with Justin that's not entirely romantic I mean there might be an aspect to it but I feel like he meant it in the sense that no matter what happens, he will like always be there for her. Like that relationship will not end. It will always be there. There will always be that connection. You know, he's always going to have her back. She could be married to Sinclair. She could be married to Sheridan. It will never change his loyalty to her. And I feel like just from what we've seen, the Mimbari level of intimacy is different than you know, most of us in the U.S. It just, it seems like such a deeper level of intimacy than, um, and not in a romantic way that we don't see very often just in TV in general or even, you know, in personal lives. I guess I would agree with you, Emily, because there's a lot to be said about like, um, there, there's always the discussion, the historical discussion was Abraham Lincoln gay. And the back and forth argument among a lot of historians is the way that he communicated through his letters, but also the controversy to that is a lot of um, it was a different time where men could express their emotions towards other men a lot differently than they do today. And it wasn't really considered anything than like super close, intimate uh, friendships and relationships and stuff like that. So I can kind of agree with 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 where you were going with that, too. Nicole, my only thought or comment on that would be is he's dedicating his life to her. So what happens if he finds somebody and gets married and falls in love? And like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of hard to hitch your wagon to somebody's wagon and then have another one of your own. I can see where you're both coming from and like their level of intimacy is different than ours and like the dedication and loyalty. But I do also think there's a, a, a part of being in love with her as well, because he flat out said, even though she's meant for someone else, I'm always going to love her and I'm going to always be dedicated to her. So even if she marries and finds somebody else, he's still going to be the one that's there. I guess you could put this in the questions part is, what happens if he finds somebody else or gets married? Like, how's that going to work? Because how can you dedicate your life to somebody and also have that love and something for yourself? You know, um, it's like saying I'm going to dedicate myself to, you know, Scotty and then trying to like have a relationship with somebody else. Like, it's just not possible. And maybe there are alien beings in their higher brain power or something like that. But logically, to me, it's just hard for me to see it as Obviously, there's more to it, but I, I do think there is an element of romantic love involved as well. And he even said it's more of a pure love. It's like an all around love because you can't dedicate your life to somebody and then have any sort of life in another. Like, I just don't logically see it. You know what I mean? So that would be my only thought or, you know, question regarding that. Like, I see where you guys are coming from and I agree that it's like a higher level, but also 
what happens when, you know what I mean? I guess we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. I guess it's just unconditional love. Yeah. I guess it's and, probably the best terminology for it. Yeah. And unconditional love is, is a very real thing. And usually it's between partners, but it can be between, you know, friends and children and you know what I mean? So I think that, yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head. There is unconditional, but I just, I want Lanier to get a boo, man. You know, can't have a boo if you love somebody else. Emily. Well, and we don't really know within their society and their level of position, what relationships are and aren't maybe allowed. We don't know if there's restrictions on, you know, if you're a member of the great council, do you have the, what we would consider romantic relationships or or relationship, or is it a completely different setup? We haven't seen much of that in regards to like, pairing or coupling so i don't know if linear would be if that would if he could find somebody else and have a relationship if that'd be allowed yeah because it almost sounded like his training came up almost through like a monastery where it it reminded me of a similarity to being a monk and depending on like which religion you'd be a part of that personal relationships might not good to go yeah well and also you something you said there with the relationships maybe because she's above him and his her attache he can't pursue her because yeah there'd just be boundary crossing right hey it wouldn't be the first time a superior has gotten involved with a subordinate yeah true reference we also don't know how strict they are either because the minbari seem um kind of strict in some of their rules there yeah HR policies are usually pretty strict too, but there's still a blue cocktail dress. Jesus Christ. Is that still in the Smithsonian? <laughs> pretty sure it is. Any hoosers. All right. So before we wrap up and go to questions and predictions, Kevin, I believe you have a question you want to ask. So I want to ask the newbies, does, does the scene with Londo and his actions, does that change your perception of him at all? <sighs> No, I mean, he always said he was trying to bring uh, Centauri back to where it used to be. And logistically, it makes sense to not be trying to fight a war on 12 different fronts. And, you know, you focus on who's your biggest threat and you focus on like getting your own shit together. Plus, I also think Rifa had it coming. So, yeah, <laughs> he did indeed. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that Londo is still up to no good. I think Londo is still thinking about Londo and how Londo can advance and advance the Centauri and where his place will be with them once they're advanced. Um, and I think he is now focused on taking Rifa out, which fuck Rifa. I've always hated him from the very beginning. Um, so I, I did enjoy that episode. And I thought, I thought, like you said, Kevin, like that was pretty funny. Londo was like basically toying with him, like, you know, like having a good time with it. So I think that if anything, it showed us that Londo is still kind of manipulative and kind of has that mean streak to him. Yeah, Londo can be manipulative, but he was always manipulative even when we thought he was a good guy. Um, to me, I think this kind of confirms my belief that he's trying to make it the best out of the bad situation he created for himself. And knowing, and I think he's desperate because even it was even referred to what do you think Rifa said when Morn asked him what he wanted? Rifa wants to be emperor, and that's he. He makes no no qualms or anything like about that. So 
I think also Londo's desperate to keep Rifa off the throne because he knows what Rifa's capable of and mm-hmm. he's capable of horrible things. And I think he's trying to also separate the Centauri from the shadows and from Morden because he's he doesn't know how to fix his mistakes yet. He doesn't know how to fix the horrible things he's done. And I think he's just trying to find anything, whether he's doing other horrible things to make up for it to other people. But I think at this point, he's just desperate to try to fix this the best he can, knowing he can't fix it ever completely, but just the best way he can. And now he has Rifa under his thumb. Now, whether poison's really a thing, I'm not 100% sure he actually ever poisoned the drink. But it doesn't really matter if Londo actually poisoned the drink, as long as Rifa believes he's poisoned. Emily? Well, and I think Londo's figured out that they are part of the Shadows game. Whatever game the Shadows are playing, the Centauri are just a pawn in it. Whereas I don't, Rifa doesn't seem to have figured that out yet. He seems to be behaving as though he thinks the Centauri can somehow manipulate the Shadows. And Londo seems to have figured out that's not the case at all. And that they're basically just pawns. And I feel like that is why he's trying to create more of a distance because he know, they tied themselves to these beings who can annihilate them with little effort. And I think he, it's starting to scare him how much danger they're potentially putting themselves in. Yeah, and I think Londo realizes this is going to be a this is a fight of life versus death. And at the at, and at the end of the day, you know, yes, Londo may be a lot of things, but I think if he has to make a choice, he's going to be on the side of life. And I think that's where he's going to eventually start to come around. All right. I think that wraps up our discussion for this week's episode. So let's go ahead and jump into our questions and predictions from our newbies. I know we've had a few questions sprinkled in, so we will get to those as well. But let's go ahead and start off with Emily for our questions and predictions. Um, I really just want to know what the shadows call themselves. Everyone calls them the shadows, but do they call themselves the shadows? I really want to know if they uh, have a special name for themselves. Saha Doomies. <laughs> that all you got this week? Yep, that's all I got. <laughs> Justin. Um. So, yeah, earlier question. How many more Nightwatch is hiding or embedded in B5? I already asked about the Doomin... Do Mimbari have divorce proceedings? Because that's something that may become very personal for some people on this podcast about, you know, they're still shipping the whole Sinclair thing. How long is, is it going to take before Earth starts to really start coming after Babylon 5? I know that they're going to kind of continue to um, maybe put in some more terror cells or something like that. There's got to be a full attack coming. And I wonder how long it's going to be for that. Like, when does this turn from kind of a cold slash guerrilla war to a full on scale war. Um, and where the hell is Kosh? That's my number one question. Where is Kosh? I miss my homeboy. I haven't seen him in a long time. There's a lot of crap going down and he's supposed to be the person that's supposed to help guide Sheridan and everything like that. And then all of a sudden he's just MIA when shit goes down. He's Shit's enjoying just- m- moments of perfect beauty in that weird little down below. Yeah, I mean, shit's escalating, and he is nowhere to be found. Don't let me down, Kosh. Don't let me down. Um, and then my la- and then really the only prediction I have is um, 
I, I really think that we're going to start seeing a lot more sabotage and terrorism on Babylon 5 due to EarthGov, because right now they realize with the, with the Mimbari there and not wanting to risk another full-scale war with the Mimbari, um, because I think the Mimbari will clean house this time if they do end up going to full-scale war. Um, I think we're going to see a lot more evidence of terrorism, sabotage, other things going down from the remnants of Nightwatch, and even people that they may convert or send to the station anyway, because at the end of the episode, Babylon 5 is open for business. What are they going to do? Shut down all traffic from Earth? I don't really think they're going to do that. So how how is security going to change? And what's Garibaldi going to do to help keep the far um, extremist Clark regime out of the station? And Nicole? That was going to be one of my predictions as well, is that I think we're going to see more trying to destroy things from the inside on B5. And then other than that, my questions would be, so now what's going to happen that Sheridan professed his love to Delenn? Are they going to date? Are they going to be a couple? Like what's going to happen there? Also, what's going to happen with Franklin? Do they have like a Stims rehab? Like, is he going to come clean with everybody else? Is he going to get help for his issue? Um, what's going to happen there? And then also, I guess my other question would be, um, as the Mimbari are kind of now protecting Babylon 5, are there going to be other, I guess, alien races and other groups that are going to join the fight and join in like kind of their front? That would be my other question. Justin. Um, so I can't help it, Nicole. Um, when you are talking about Sheridan and Delenn dating, all I could picture in my head is like Garibaldi's going through like that little garden area and catches them like behind the bushes, like making out. He's like, you kids get out of here. I totally want that you to know? happen. Like, like his picturing of like them kind of, you know, canoodling or necking. Like teenagers know? sneaking around. I totally yeah. want that to happen. I'm here We're, for it. Yeah. They're going to go parking. You know what I mean? So, oh my gosh, the craziness. Yes, because they don't have easily accessible quarters right there that they can use. But where's the fun in that? They can go hide in Kasha's ship. Yeah, he's evidently not using it. Or maybe he is, and that's why he's not around. Yeah, maybe he's gone. Who knows? Still it's pissed about it either him way. a sweet little lullaby. He's the sweet. thing is, though, if they go full around in, in Kasha's ship, that's technically a three-way, because that ship's alive. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Add a little fun to the situation. Well, I mean, Nicole, you could actually finally ship something with a ship. <laughs> Everybody's Perfect. got a kink. Everybody's got a kink. All right. I think we have officially jumped the shark for this week's episode. <laughs> so that covers everything that we have for our first impressions and our thoughts on ceremonies of light and dark. We will be back next week with another episode of the Grey 17 podcast, where we'll, we'll be going over the episode Sick Transit Veer. Now, just a note on upcoming episodes, because uh, this has come up with another one of our fellow Babylon 5 podcasts. This is one of those seasons where there are multiple interpretations of the viewing order, and it will be coming into a play a little bit later this season. As has been discussed, there is the original broadcast order. There is the production order. There's a few JMS orders. There's a few fan orders. There's God knows what the hell HBO Max put out. There's the DVD order and a few other things out there. So, folks, we are going with the order that is listed on Apple TV. On the D basically, it is the DVD order. Uh, oh, so that's thank God. We're working with, and we'll tell you each week what we're going with. And you are welcome to let us know what you think we should be watching next. 
but we are going to go with the order we have and we invite you to join with us as we do so. Uh, so again, next week will be Sick Transit Veer. Again, I have been Blake and with me tonight has been... This is Justin. Nicole. Kevin. And Emily. And now we're going to throw our newbies out the airlock and Kevin and I are going to stick around for Beyond the Rim where we are going to answer some of their questions and predictions that they cannot hear for another year and a half. Ooh. So, bye, newbies. Bye. <laughs> we're going to talk about three-way with cautious ship. Yep. <laughs> You're welcome for that, by the way. Enjoy. Honestly, thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to and watch this podcast at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast or youtube.com at gray17podcast. We want to hear from you, so join the conversation at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or Patreon. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review where you are listening to or watching this podcast. Gray17 is not affiliated with, and the podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? The rim. And beyond that? The truth. All right, everyone, welcome back to Beyond the Rim. This is the part of our show where we are going to take our newbies' questions and predictions, answer those of them that we can, and also give a little bit more information on what's happened in this episode and what is coming next. So for those of you that have not seen this week's episode and do not want to get spoiled, go ahead and drop out now. Or if you have not watched past this week's episode, go ahead and drop now. If you don't care about spoilers, feel free to stick around as we go through this week's questions and predictions. So starting off with, uh, what do Mimbari do for divorces? And is Delin really married to Sinclair? So it's interesting because they bring this up and I'm surprised no one caught on to it. We have seen this rebirth ceremony on Babylon 5 before. Mm-hmm. And it was in Parliament of Dreams. Right. So we've technically seen this, and it was where everybody was convinced that Delin got married to Sinclair. Mostly Emily, but Mostly yeah. Mostly Emily. So the answer is, we don't know what they do for divorces, and Delin's not married. Right. Yeah, they they really, you know, they they get into so little of, you know, the, the intricacies of Minbari culture, you know, unlike what they tend to get into with the Centauri and even the Narn. They get into that a lot more towards the end of the series. But the Minbari, you can watch this whole series and they're still kind of a puzzle in some ways. Yeah. But yeah, of course, we've we've talked about this beyond the rim before. You know, there there was no freaking marriage between Sinclair and Delenn and JMS met a, you know, meant it as a red herring because he thought it was fun. All they had was some fruit. They just exchanged some fruit. So what would happen if Lanier did find somebody else that he was in love with? Boy, is season five going to be fun for these folks. Yeah. Well, you know, and we're going to talk about this a lot when we get there. And I know Scott's got a lot of views on this, too, as do I, as I'm sure you do, Blake. Oh, yes. None of us really like, 
you know, where things go with the Lanier character after season four. Um, and certainly I, it just, it, it, it really, it really is character assassination. Like Scott has said before what they do with his character. It's really terrible. Yeah. And, and I agree with that. It, it is character assassination for that. And, you know, we, well, we find out they, Lanier talks about this, that it's beyond love. It's beyond a romantic love. And then they basically revert it to that. It's an unrequited romantic love, basically, at, at season five. And I think they cheapened it at that point. I really do. Yeah. The saddest kind of love is unrequited love. Um, you know, and that's that's always a sad thing that, you know, sometimes when it's entered into, you know, uh, pop culture, media, you know, entertainment, it's it's always sad in different forms. But, you know, this one in particular, but then they they just they they turn it into something so much worse mm-hmm. what do the shadows call themselves i think th- they basically mentioned that the name is not pronounceable right they said it's like i think a, they say that yeah yeah it's got so many letters and characters it's not pronounceable right so i i think even just then you know says shadows that's fine mm-hmm. i think he even says that at one point um where the hell is kosh through all this and will kosh let justin down well Scott Kosh isn't going to be around forever. Will he let Justin down? No, I don't think so. I mean, Kosh in the end, you know, gives himself up for, you know, for Sheridan for the cause. But I mm-hmm. think Kosh throughout this whole, you know, earth uh, conflict sees himself as, you know, kind of above all that. It's unimportant. It's it's beneath him to get involved and he also knows the result of it besides so he knows he doesn't need to get involved um but and i think that's the challenge where kosh is at this point because he knows what happens up to war without end right and right. i think kosh at this point's a little hesitant to get involved because he doesn't want to alter what needs to happen right you know and him getting involved i mean what would it have done what would it have changed almost nothing i mean the yeah. mcbari did the heavy lifting by coming in right at the end with the cavalry charge and saying, yeah, you can leave now. And they said, okay, we'll do that. Yeah. Bye. So yeah, Justin, you're going to be let down, but we'll, we'll get there. Yeah. How many more night watch are hiding and are embedded on B5. And I, this is one of those, I wish Mike was around. Cause I think Mike would have a different take on this question than we do. I think Mike would want to see some more of that with the embedded part on B5. Yeah, they really don't do a lot more. Yeah, this, this is pretty this. much it. Yeah. The, the only thing we'll get after this is, and you would think after how many times they had learned the lesson of reporters, is when they let the ISN crew on B5 uh, and does the hatchet job. Right. But yeah, other than that, there's not that much of a uh, of this showing up again. Yeah, I mean, they're ominous. Uh, I think we're going to have a problem with sabotage for a while. You know, it, it does make you think that that's, you know, very prophetic, but it 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 doesn't really come into into play other than that one incident after yeah. this. Which uh, kind of goes to our next question, which uh, how long it'll take for Earth to really come after B5? They really don't. Right. B5 goes after Earth. Yeah. So the Cold War never really turns into a hot war until Sheridan makes that decision yeah. after the Shadow War is over that he's got to go home and clean house. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the sad part is he never puts his Earth Earth uniform on again after this episode. He does. Um, oh, he does. The la- the episode at the end of season four where he resigns. Oh, OK. I thought he put I, po- I thought he put the dress uniform on for that. 
Perhaps he did, but I, I guess yeah, yeah, my point is in any meaningful way, in any you know long term way, you know this is this is it for his service to you know to Earth uh, and to Earth Gov, except for his you know exceptional service in rooting out the Clark and the evil elements of of uh, what's going on back home. Um, mm-hmm. That you know this is pretty much it. Um, so it is, you know, their, their ceremonial, you know, I'm going to give you this, you know, this symbol of what's been so important. My entire, my entire career, my entire being is wrapped around, uh, my service to earth and I'm giving that up. That's huge. That's huge for all, all four of them, but particularly Sheridan and Ivanova, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, although, you know, Franklin having, you know, ha- being in a military family, I'm sure just as much to him too, but, uh, I mean, it's huge for all four of them, really. Will other races join the fight and help at B5? Absolutely. You know, that's part of the beginnings. And we've talked about this on Beyond the Rim before. That's part of the beginnings of the Interstellar Alliance is that, you know, they realize that they're going to need more of a presence at Babylon five and it can't be seen as, you know, just the Minbari and because people are going to see it as the Minbari holding the puppet strings. So that's when, you know, other races are, you know, asked to be part of a, you know, mutual protection pact and come in. And that's where you start seeing the flying saucers. And what's funny is they're recycling questions because they've asked this uh, last week. Yeah, they have. So they're recycling questions now. Uh, they've also asked the one about uh, what a shadow's called themselves before. Oh, really? Yeah, they, they've asked that before, too. Didn't remember that one. Uh, will there be a lot more acts of terrorism and sabotage? We've kind of gone over that. And not really be, and we're not really going to see any internal changes as far as not really uh, security or anything. They just kind of go with it. Um, the, the only thing that we could remotely get here is they do have that thing where uh b5 goes and rescues some star furies and the the pilot of the star fury goes we were told you guys you were the bad guys and ivanova basically responds don't believe everything you hear on isn right um so we'll see a little bit where they tried to like set up to make b5 look like the bad guys and that type of thing and again with that isn news crew they'll try to make b5 look bad but there won't be any direct terrorism or anything showing up on the station is that when they got the atmospheric uh star furies I know they showed them in Severed Dreams when Clark bombed Mars, but they didn't really talk about them being, you know, more, you know, atmospheric uh, star furies. But I think they get them eventually. I thought they got them because they had that line in Severed Dreams where Major Ryan talks about taking in Hiroshi's fighters. Oh, okay. I either wonder if it was from there or from one of the other later on. But yeah, they, they do eventually show up here. Yeah. What will happen with Franklin and his addiction? Oh, just wait for walkabout. Oh, yeah. The great episode for Franklin. Yeah. You know, himself, you know, you you can say whatever you want to about some possibly soft writing for the Franklin character, you know, and, you know, that that would be fair in a lot of situations. But, you know, Richard Biggs is really going to get, you know, a little bit later this season, some stuff to seek his you know, sink his teeth into as an actor mm-hmm. it's a fantastic story arc i wish it was longer to be honest what will happen with sheridan and delenn will they start to date well what what you don't know is that when delenn was watching sheridan sleep 
in Messages from Earth, that was the first time that she watches him sleep, which is one of the few things about Mimbari coupling that we do know from this series, is that the couples watch each other sleep, and that was the first time. And yes, they are going to start to date, and it's not going to be a real long courtship. Uh, And there will be smashing. Yeah. If you if you consider this to be sort of the beginning of the romantic relationship, it's about a half a season ish, you know, mm-hmm. that they're doing that for. And, you know, it culminates with, you know, the the last uh, episode of this season where he professes his undying love for her while his former wife um, in in body only uh shows up um and he he feels you know nothing for you know the the anna that shows up because he's probably convinced deep down it's not really her which of course we know it isn't Mm -hmm. and for the predictions uh, a couple of them both predicted that there will be more attempts to destroy uh or to do acts of terrorism on babylon 5 from Nightwatch or other actors and that Clark will, you know, continue to directly go after Babylon five. And, you know, really that it really doesn't come that way. There's really not a lot that uh, EarthGov uh, and Clark can do uh, with Minbari sitting there as far as a hot war goes. And after this, they, they seem like they've rooted out most of Nightwatch or at least the ones that are interested in doing anything and not just sitting around. Did you have anything else from this episode that you wanted to talk about or go over? I think that kind of covers everything for this episode. We actually had a pretty thorough discussion on this one uh, and most of the high points. The only thing I want to mention is that, you know, this is a nice beginning of the very... the the very stra- uh strained relationship if you want to even call it that between you know Rifa and Londo mm-hmm. and you know that's going to culminate you know later in the rock cried out no hiding place which is a fantastic episode of the series but this is a nice you know this is a nice warm up to that because that scene it's probably what you know 5 minutes or so Oh, yeah. And it's just, it's gold. The whole thing is gold. There's so much from that that uh, discussion that's quotable and that gives you so much, you know, great, uh, great background um, and uh, interesting uh, tidbits about that relationship. But my favorite quote from that whole thing, other than the have a little potty, I love that one, but Mm -hmm. uh, only an idiot fights a war on two fronts. Only the heir to the throne of the kingdom of idiots would fight a war on 12 fronts. I love that. Oh, yeah. And and Peter just does a fantastic job in that scene of going back and forth between being kind of sinister and being kind of taunting Rifa. And the the two of their dynamic, uh, the two actors, uh, they they I saw where they were talking about just loving that scene because they, they said they could have done it all day. It was so rich with with the uh, uh, the dialogue between the two of them that uh, they really enjoyed the whole thing. So that has been it for our newbies questions and predictions. Feel free to leave your comments on this episode in the uh, comments down below if you're watching on the YouTube version. And also make sure to check out the audio podcast version on your podcast app of choice. And if you would like to leave us a review, we would really appreciate it, especially those five star reviews to share as well. Again, I have been Blake, and with me has been... Just Kevin. God, we're down to half the usual Beyond the Rim crew.
Yeah, well, that's okay. We, and, we we will be, and we will be back next week with Zip Transit Veer. Have a good night, everybody. Scott, enjoy this shit show. <laughs> Fuck. I have to wait for someone to wake up.